Presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Governor Bradlittle's actions during the pandemic prompted some of the most contentious debates during the legislative session this year. This week, he joins us to give us his take. I'm Melissa Davlin. Idaho Reports starts now. Hello and welcome to Idaho Reports. This week, we're joined by Governor Brad Little. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you've had a lot on your plate lately. Um, I wanted to ask you first about the Lieutenant Governor's executive order while you were out of town. Um, after that executive order, are, have you changed any plans to travel out of the state in the future? Uh, no, but it may become a factor but we you know there's always things you look at uh, uh, you know I I remember a time when I was lieutenant governor when there was a pretty big deal that well I'll, I'll be straight up about it it was an execution and Governor Otter uh, and I was thankful for it he came back uh, so you know you whether you know as as the chief executive if there's things that are really critical you know emergencies or something I think it's necessary to stay in the state you know, it, it seems it seemed for a very long time that your office and the lieutenant governor's office have not been on the same page, have not been communicating. Uh, looking forward, how do you ensure that this dysfunction and lack of communication doesn't affect the governing of the state well, of Idaho? I, I don't know that I uh, communicating because uh, my staff either talks to her staff or to the lieutenant governor on a on a frequent basis, if you know, w weekly or biweekly. Uh, this obviously makes it a little more problematic, but you know, it's we think for the continuity of government, it's important that uh, that that communications takes place. You know, your your staffs communicate, but they also didn't realize that the lieutenant governor was out of town while you were also leaving town. And there was you know, a, a brief period while the Senate president pro tem was governor. Uh, does there need to be a, a tightening up of that communication to make sure that everyone knows where everyone else is for that chain of command? Well, that's a standard protocol. That happened when I was lieutenant governor that, uh, uh, you know, sometimes I'd get a, a long period of heads up. And sometimes I'd get a phone call in the morning and say, I'm headed to Oregon, you're in charge. So that was a very brief notice. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, there, there's the notification and then if, if, the, uh, if the lieutenant governor or the pro tem or even the speaker is gone, I remember a time when everybody was gone and the secretary of state was, even though that isn't necessarily in the constitution, but it was kind of recognized, but there's, there's a process there. You know, I, I wanted to ask about the, the language in the lieutenant governor's executive order, the language in your executive order, and also the, the statement. You had a, a scathing statement condemning what the lieutenant governor did in your absence, pointing out that it caused a lot of confusion um, and there were a lot of holes in, in um, you know, the public safety reasoning with this. But you know, with those two executive orders, plus the indoctrination task force, plus the statements. Are you worried about the Republican gubernatorial primary happening while on the clock? 
Uh, that's just the way elections work. I mean, whether it's the lieutenant governor versus a, a, a governor, whether it's uh, another member, uh, happens that happens all the time, and people just need to be cognizant that they they have their constitutional job to do, and then they have the campaign. Uh, it, it it would be nice if they never mix, but they do all the time. That's just part of our process. You haven't officially announced that you are running for re-election. Uh, would you like to right now? No, we're we're uh, as I've I think I've my quote is don't be surprised. I'll I'll practice my shocked face. Okay, all right. So uh, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you um, about vaccines. Idaho does have one of the worst vaccine rates for adults in the nation. What's the state looking at doing about it? Well, actually, when I was in Nashville last week, that was some of the conversations I had with, you know, I tried to find states that were demographically like Idaho. And for the most part, if they're demographically like Idaho, they're having a high high degree of, of uh, hesitancy. And if there's, you know, who's got the best idea about getting more people vaccinated? And that's, uh, you know, we're we're looking at, any, any and all options uh, to create an atmosphere where people choose to get vaccinated. What are some of those options? Well, you know, we looked at the lottery. That's never my favorite. I, uh, but that doesn't mean we're, uh, we've ruled it out. Uh, there's some other areas. Uh, one of the things that I'm concerned about is our firefighters. Uh, that that the fire that we have a high level of vaccination firefighters so that you know as dry as this summer is is that we don't have an a uh, an event where uh, you know we have a COVID run through a fire camp and endangers firefighters the community uh, that but you know we're we're trying to make it more available uh, in in the more remote areas uh, right now we're trying to change our messaging. We want people to walk into a pharmacy. But I think, and what we see in some of the survey work we're doing is that people's confidence in what their doctor tells them, that people need to have a conversation with their doctor about, do you think this is the right thing for me? And that should really help hesitancy. Uh, do you believe realistically that enough Idahoans will get the COVID vaccine for us to reach that 70% goal uh, it, it, we, it could because you know the 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 two predominant uh, the mRNA vac, uh, vaccines the, you know the, the side effects from them are are de minimis uh, and and the risk return is incredible and people that are hesitant as they know more people have got vaccinated and see their comfort level with uh, people going out uh, it it may be a long slog, but we may get there. But it, it's, uh, but it, you know, it's it's dynamic. It's a novel virus, and we know that it's mutating. That's what viruses do: is mutate. And 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 the other thing that people that had COVID, either lab confirmed or they were pretty confident they had COVID, uh, we're going to get to a point in time to where uh, if if the science is correct, which I believe it is. That they are going to be subject to getting reinfected, where if they had the vaccine, uh, we know there's areas of the state where we had, you know, the statistics were compelling. We had a high infection rate. Uh, if there comes a point in time when their uh, reinfection starts showing up, I think that'll help vaccine uptake. 
Looking over the past 14 months and, and Idaho's COVID response, you know, Idaho had um, a relatively great economic recovery. You know, looking at other states, at the same time, we had a much higher death rate than some of our neighboring states that didn't open up as quickly. When, when you think about that balance between opening up businesses and you know, individual liberty, not having a statewide mask mandate, but also this death rate, do you have any, any would you have done anything differently? Uh, Maybe I mean if I knew if I knew more I would have uh, absolutely every, every there's not a governor uh, uh, healthcare person that wouldn't do things differently because of what we learned uh, but you know there's a lot of other states uh, that had much bigger lockdowns that have a higher fatality rate uh, than we did in Idaho um, you know every one of those 2100 plus people is a and their families and the healthcare workers that took care of them is something that none of us wanted to have happen. Uh, but all in all, balancing everything out, what I had to do is get people to, to choose. I was having a conversation yesterday. Uh, you know, you can have a mask mandate, but if people don't wear a mask properly, if they don't use the right kind of mask, you, you've got to convince people that it's in their best interest to do the right thing. And that's uh, and that's why I like the local government, uh, local area making them, you know, I can tell you that an edict from the president is different than an edict from the governor, is different than an edict from a lower level. It's a person that they know uh, closely that they're more inclined to be compliant with. Do you worry that that put a lot of pressure on people on the front lines, like teachers in the classroom or retail workers who were the ones who were enforcing these these mandates either in private businesses or in schools? Absolutely, there's no question that that was an issue. But I don't know what a better solution was. And, and, and the best thing is if they had a, had a, a rule or a, a, a mandate and that they Everybody knew what it was. They didn't move in and out of it. That that's just uh, because you know the kids. There was there was other options, uh, but you know I was. That's why we were one of the first states to allow teachers to get vaccinated. Uh, getting kids back in school was a huge priority for us. I also wanted to ask you about unemployment. I know Idaho, of course, opted out of the uh, extra federal unemployment dollars a couple months ago, and we've had, you know, one of the lowest unemployment rates so far. You know, small businesses are saying they're having a hard time finding employees, but that's a problem when there's low unemployment in non-pandemic times. So is this less a problem with the federal enhanced benefits and maybe more of a problem with wages or uh, the low unemployment rate in the first place? Well. There was an article uh, yesterday or day before that talked about uh, it, the people at the low end, there's a lot of those jobs that have increased 40% in a year's time. The, the starting pay has increased 40%. Uh, now that doesn't keep up with housing prices, but it, it does fix a lot of other things. And uh, in fact, we were the first state, the only state to put a back to work bonus in last July, a year ago in July, or last July. Uh, we actually, there was another program in January that we waived on. And in fact, the, the, the new uh, uh, 
basically uh, not asking to receive the federal program, that doesn't take place until the middle of this month. So, but, but the signal uh, that it's going to go away, uh, I hear from a lot of businesses that it's increased. Uh, a, a lot of people call and say, I'm interested, uh, but then they wouldn't show up, but they're showing up for appointments now. But there's a, you know, we, we want to get people back to work. Uh, to me, the biggest problem in Idaho is housing affordability, because my goal, I want kids to stay here and uh, this housing affordability, and I, I'm not sure what the answer is to that one. I know it's a local government answer rather than a state uh, answer, but I want to help local governments solve that problem. Let's talk about that a little bit because it is not just a Boise problem. Oh. We have heard from viewers all over the state that you know, in Chalice, people are having a hard time finding affordable housing in North Idaho. Uh, so you say it is a local government problem to solve. Does this? Does the legislature or the executive branch have any role in making that easier for them to, to deal with? Well, probably. I mean, what we do in uh, land use planning, what we do in, in transportation, uh, it, it, they do, but you're right about that. Uh, they're, the percentage increase in rural Idaho is bigger than it is in Boise and even Coeur d'Alene. Uh, Rathdrum, uh, Athol, Hayden, uh, the appreciation there, everybody, Coeur d'Alene made the front page of the Wall Street Journal, but it was because of what class of city they were in. Those smaller communities have had even a, even a larger increase, and so, you know, it's going to take a little while to get back in balance. There's a, you know, the price of lumber is skyrocketed. There's a shortage of, but, you know, we can help with getting people trained. We can help with getting people licensed. Uh, we're, we're trying to do all we can. Our mills in Idaho are all running at 100 percent of capacity uh, to get, try and get the price of lumber down. We've got you've got the price of lumber, and then you have things with you. You have issues with infrastructure, not just the roads, but also things like wastewater capacity in some of those smaller communities. Does the state have a role in helping with that sort of infrastructure? Yes, absolutely. And of course, it's there's a lot of federal money to help these cities. Uh, I live in a city where uh, my my our city fathers and city council and mayors went out and fixed the water system. Uh, and our water rates and Emmett reflect that. We're, the federal government's gonna give money to the other cities that didn't do it. I would like to have a system where people do the right thing at the right time. And, and, and you know, if a city doesn't wanna grow, that's great. They can, you know, they can elect their county commissioners and their mayor and their cities, and they can do that. I think most everybody agrees with my goal of we wanna have an opportunity for our kids to stay here. Uh, and that's, that's, but it's it's a problem. That's one of the reasons we did the first time home buyers savings account. Well, our Idaho taxes are. If the federal government would do that, where people could save tax free, to get that down payment for their house. But right now, the price of houses going up so fast. It's it's a I, I, it, it's the most perplexing problem I believe we have in Idaho right now. Yeah, that related to that, of course, is property taxes, that it's affecting homeowners and renters alike. What would you like to see from the legislature's interim committee on property taxes? Well, I mean, they have a, they have a discussion, listen to everybody that's impacted by it. Uh, our, the, the bill that we did, and I signed the bill reluctantly, is my signing statement uh, pointed out, uh, nobody anticipated and, and 
we're addressing a 25% increase. Remember, that's last year over the year before. We got to start thinking about what is going to happen a year from now, because in some of these, and including the one we're sitting in right now, it might be a 35% increase in value. Uh, when the assessor in 80 County, and Bob's a friend of mine, when he said he was surprised by the increase, I was frankly surprised it wasn't more with what I know the people I talk to every day, people trying to buy houses. Uh, but but they need to address, it, the way the system works, if the these taxpayers' values doesn't change and these go way up, they pay more uh, taxes. And if there's little bitty changes, that works. But given these radical changes, we need to continue to look through it um, at maybe a different lens than we would, because nobody anticipated a 20, 30, 40% appreciation in home values. Well, it, let, let's talk about the state's ability to look ahead and plan for some of this growth, too, because so, you know, so much of what we've seen the state do over the past several years has been trying to address gaps in funding, whether it's transportation, whether it's education or whatever. Right now we have an influx of a, a lot of retirees, especially in northern Idaho, moving in that affects the tax base, that's going to affect the bottom line for cities in the state. Meanwhile, some young people are still moving out, whether it's for job opportunities or other reasons. When we're looking ahead at the potential changing face of the tax base in Idaho, are we ready for what the state is going to look like in 10 years? Uh, probably not as perfectly as we'd like to, but nobody a year ago, ago thought we'd be where we are today. Uh, we, you know, we're the, for every 100 people working pre-pandemic, uh, we got 112 working today. And that's, we frankly blow all the other states out of the water. So to say, oh, Brad knew that was going to happen, it'd be, uh, grossly incorrect. I'm delighted it's happening, but you got to remember, despite the fact that there are some young people moving out and some retired people moving in, we're going to get census data, and we're still the second or third youngest state in the union, uh, even given even given those demographics. And some of those retired people that move here, their kids come to visit, and they say. If I can afford a house, I want to move up here and be next to mom and dad that are living in Idaho, and they'll they'll go into the workforce. If they can afford a house. Yeah, if they can afford right. a house. Uh, yeah. What's the next step with transportation? I we you had a big win with transportation this year, but again, there there's still a big deficit in in deferred maintenance. What's next? I, of course, the, I don't think the deferred maintenance. You know, you've, if you look at the dashboard. Our pavement is 94% where it needs to be, which is a way better number than it used to be. And we've got a big bridge uh, issue. Uh, the problem is congestion, and that's why I was delighted that after two years, the legislature uh, adopted my uh, revenue plan to where we can bond for these big congestion issues. Because, uh, as I say, the most valuable commodity that any of us have is our time, and people stuck in in traffic is it, it, we're robbing their time from them. So I'm excited with that. The other thing is we came up with we don't know what's going to happen at the federal level. There's negotiations taking place in the White House probably as we speak. 
if if that is a match money, we're standing there with match money, I don't match money ready to go, which a lot of other states don't have. So I like our position better than a lot of our competing states. We will continue to work with local governments, cities, counties, highway districts, and the state to address those issues going forward. But a lot of those issues are gonna have to be addressed at the local level. I also wanted to ask you about education, which is a, a huge part in young families wanting to stay here or not. Um, you know, you came out with statements saying that you support Idaho teachers and that you did not think that there was a problem with uh, critical race theory or indoctrination happening in public schools. Uh, are, how concerned are you about the message that lawmakers are sending to educators with these public discussions? Well, I, it was in my signing statement that I was, uh, if you read the text on paper of the bill, it wasn't near as onerous as a lot of the debate. Uh, one of my favorite lines is uh, one of the school districts, they were all Googling what's critical race theory that they were teaching. Uh, but it, it's, it's a reaction, we do that in Idaho, to what they hear on the federal level and other places. I, I just want to get by it and tell these teachers how much we value them, give them the resources to help these kids get caught up. I've got a meeting in just a little bit with the school district that literally went from 30% uh, uh, proficiency on their readings, and this is a poor district uh, with a lot of English language learners, up to 80%. And I'm meeting with the superintendent and some of the teachers about what can I do to help them and to duplicate their success elsewhere to where we can get continue our success on literacy, and then move it on to college and career readiness. You had that signing statement, you had another signing statement with the property tax bill. Why not veto them? Uh, you, you, the, very seldom have I seen a perfect bill. So there's, it's in the veto pile, it's in the I love it pile, and then most of the legislation is in between. So in the in between, if it's, Pretty close to the veto, you can tell by my signing statement. And some of it was a frustration, it was the end of the session, uh, kind of the timing of it. They, they knew I didn't like either one of those bills, uh, but that's why you do what you do. Uh, what kind of efforts do you think the state is gonna have to undergo to make sure that kids who did hybrid learning or online learning um, get caught up? Or, or get to a place where you're comfortable with their reading scores and math scores? The panel I was on last week with uh, other governors, we were all talking about that. How do we, how do we get these kids caught up? What's, what is the best practices in the classroom that we as governors can help? Uh, and, and of course, they, in Idaho, the classroom's got $440 million in ARPA money, which yeah, you know, we are urging them, and it, and that's the intent of the, uh, of the language that came from Congress. We are urging them to use that money to get these kids caught back up. I talked to classroom teachers, and I'm gonna talk to some here in just a little bit. I, I talked to classroom teachers, and they, says, uh, they say, Brad, we can do this. We can get these kids caught back up. There's always kids that are behind, which has always been my, issue in literacy that we want every kid reading proficiently by the end of the third grade. It's a noble goal. You're probably not gonna get there, but I wanna change that. They're not to a smaller number because what I tell my friends 
is your children and grandchildren may be perfect. If that child sit next to them for whatever reason, family, environment, handicap, language issues is behind, you gotta realize they're gonna drag that classroom down uh, for the entirety of the K-12 career. So it's in everybody's best interest to help these kids that are in the gap. I also wanted to ask you about higher education. Do you have confidence in the current leadership of Idaho's higher education institutes? I, uh, the, the state board, uh, and we have a lot of conversations like that. We are, we are uh, their job is to hire the university presidents, uh, basically say, here's what we want you to do, and create an atmosphere to where we get these kids uh, educated and there's you know there've been a lot of challenges there's you know we'd love to see college uh, applications going up when the economy's this good a lot of kids don't want to go to college and that's universal everywhere uh, I, I have great confidence in the state board that uh, the, higher education in a lot of areas is a battleship that you have to turn around and uh, we're I, I, I'm confident that the direction that's being given to higher education, and frankly, I'm excited about some of the initiatives they're doing. You, know, you, you said you have confidence in the direction that's being given to the presidents. Do you have confidence in the presidents? Well, that's, uh, they, the presidents actually work for the state board. They don't work for me, and uh, they're, we're gonna get there, so. What needs to be addressed for, to get there? Well, of course, a lot of it for me is the public and the legislature's confidence in higher education. Uh, that, that, and that goes to my theme about everything is confidence in government, is that if, if we gotta have a dialogue about their confidence about what's taking place uh, in the classroom and on their campuses, uh, let's have that discussion, get everybody involved in it, uh, so that people have confidence that uh, what most Idahoans believe is the, is the role of higher education to educate that it's being fulfilled. And so uh, we need to have that conversation. Now, as we look forward to the summer, of course, the, the Senate adjourned for the session. The House just recessed. They said that if, you know, they, they might consider calling themselves back, uh, circumventing the special session um, to address perhaps some um, money that comes into the state. If Congress passes a huge infrastructure bill that you alluded to earlier, with money immediately coming to the states, would you be willing to call the legislature back to help decide how well, to? I, I mean, I, a year ago at this point in time, I said, you agree on one or two issues, I'll call a special session and I did. That's not a, uh, you know, that's a constitutional role of the governor, but I'm more than willing to do it in, in uh, conjunction with the legislature. But I did say, I, I sent him a letter saying, look, if, if something happens substantial, we'll have the conversation decide whether we have a special session or not. That's the way our Idaho Constitution, the way we've done it forever. Uh, you know, we've had only three special sessions in the last 20 years. Some of these states are having seven, eight, 10, 12 special sessions a year. I don't believe the people of Idaho want that to be the case. One last question, we're almost out of time. Who are you endorsing for Lieutenant Governor? I'm staying out of all the constitutional races. Are you prepared to work with anyone who might win that if you are uh, elected for a second term? That's my job. My job is to you know, uphold the Constitution of the United States, Constitution of the state of Idaho, and fulfill the duties of governor to the best of my ability, so help me God, and I will do that.
We're going to have to leave it there. Governor Brad Little, thank you so much for joining us today. And after this week, the Idaho Reports broadcast schedule is ending for the summer, but the IR team is still reporting on the statewide stories that matter to you. You can find our reporting on the Idaho Reports blog, the Idaho Reports YouTube channel, and the IR podcast. You'll find links to all of those at idahoptv.org slash Idaho Reports. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks so much for watching. presentation of Idaho Reports on Idaho Public Television is made possible through the generous support of the Laura Moore Cunningham Foundation, committed to fulfilling the Moore and Bettis family legacy of building the great state of Idaho. By the Friends of Idaho Public Television and by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting.